Welcome to the simulation hosted by Synthetic Esports. Today we have Parker Mackay, otherwise known as Intero. He is a Rainbow Six Siege professional pro league caster. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. It's nice to be on the other side of a podcast. If you guys didn't know already, Intero has his own podcast, which he hosts with the pro league player Canadian. It's called Six on Six on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube as well. It's pretty successful. He interviews a bunch of people within the Siege community, and it's a really great listen, so make sure you guys take a listen to that. Today we have Intero. We'll be talking with about him with a few different topics. So first we'll be starting off with how and why you got into casting. We'll move into some tips for new casters, talking a little bit about the current state of Siege and its future, and then to finish off we'll be talking a little about Powerhouse and maybe a little bit about some other topics. We'll see how the time goes. So kicking right into it, Intero, how and why did you get into casting? What was your motivation and what were some of the first leagues that you were casting? Uh, I suppose the, my origin story goes all the way back to 2010 um, when I was playing Call of Duty and at the time the top competitive PC Call of Duty league and we had an all team meeting and one of the guys suggested that I cast because I had a nice voice. Never done it before, but I mean... You grow up and you play any kind of sports, whether it's on the street or in any professional leagues or competitive leagues or amateur leagues, whatever. And I feel like it's natural for you to commentate yourself as if you were in the big leagues. And I did I did that growing up. Um, we'd play street hockey or we'd play baseball or anything like that. And it's just you've got this narrative running in your head. And it's fun to think about. And I grew up watching a lot of sports, so I always admired the people who were so good at being able to provide their voice to the, you know, to the visual that you were seeing. Uh, after Call of Duty, I guess it just kind of dicked around. I actually saw a video where a guy went into, I can't even remember what game it was. I think it was Counter-Strike. He went into a Counter-Strike lobby and he started commentating as if he was a professional caster. And it was just a random pug lobby. And I thought it was hilarious. So... I tried doing that for TF2 a little bit, and then I ended up casting a couple um, Highlander games for my friend's team, like two or three, and then just kind of stopped doing it. And then when I came back into gaming ages ago, actually through Powerhouse, we did a bunch of like open tourneys that we called the in-house series, and I commentated those, and we started with Overwatch. And the reception was pretty positive. And all of a sudden, one day, this tiny little league, their uh, usual caster's power supply blew up, and they needed somebody to do it, and Powerhouse had a team in it. So I said, ah, I guess I can give my, uh, I can give it a go, and try my hand at it, and that was that. The reception was good, and I decided this is fun. I'm waiting to go back to school. I might as well keep doing it as a hobby, and my hobby turned into a job. It's a pretty nice way to get into it, you know. You know, the hobby turns into the passion, you know. Your job is your passion, like they always say. <laughs> yeah, you find, it. what's that saying? You find what you like and let it kill you? Mm-hmm. So before you got into, I guess, casting, did you play any competitive Rainbow Six Siege or did you just play competitive COD? Uh, I mean, I took a I took a sabbatical from gaming for a number of years, mostly because when I was gaming during the Call of Duty days, uh, which is a, over a decade ago at this point, you know, Modern Warfare 2 came out in the fall of 2009. Uh, I was running on this HP Pavilion laptop that was just good enough to run the game in terrible resolution at the worst graphic settings possible. And then basically anything after that would cause it to heat up. So my gaming was pretty limited until I could build a computer in the mid 2010. So I took a long hiatus from gaming. And I came back and it was like, I was always competitive, never anything organized. 
I didn't have any teams in Overwatch. You know, I was decent at Rocket League, never really went anywhere with that. But I'm a competitive-minded person, and I, I like to play at a high level if possible. Uh, as for Rainbow Six, I mean, the first time I casted Rainbow Six, I'd only been playing the game for five months, five and a half months. Really? Far simpler game at that point than it is now. Uh, I came in during Red Crow. But uh, at the same time, I, I was never good enough, and I feel like I was still too new to it to ever really go anywhere competitively. I just knew the game well enough to speak about it. Definitely, yeah. So when did you, what was like kind of the first league? What was like the progression? Did you start in T3D, start in T4, or did you jump right into T2? Uh, I think it's also worth noting that at the time, because of how new Rainbow Six Esports was, I don't think there was any defined tiers outside of Tier 1 and Tier 2 because... It was definitely less CCS, structured. It, it was no structure. Yeah, it was like the Wild West. CCS had just gotten off the ground when I started casting. I think they'd maybe done a broadcast or two when I did my first cast for the Siege Contender series, which is no longer around. I think it eventually ended up becoming ESA, but... Right. I can't remember the exact lineage because ESA existed at one point prior or like after Siege Contender Series. Siege Contender Series did like two seasons and amalgamated into some thing. I can't remember. Mm. This is years ago. But I started off with the with SCS. And I mean, you're talking the Siege Contender Series that had eight teams in it. Most of the players were like high gold through mid plat. I don't think there was more than one or two diamonds in this league. Uh these were teams that would go out in the first three rounds of most go fours at the time. I was not a community caster. So, I mean, this was probably like tier four. Mm. If that had the first cast that I did, I had like eight viewers until the one team finished their match and decided to come watch me, which nearly doubled the viewership. <laughs> um, and then after that, there was like a, almost like a gold rush of small leagues. Uh, there was a, obviously a, a big interest because the six invitational had just wrapped previously. You know, it ended in what February, March of 2017. I started casting in May 2017, I think. So, yeah. And then I just worked my way up. Within a couple weeks, I was casting for like 50 or 60 people in some like small thing that Remorse was doing. And then, uh, and eventually I got noticed and CCS picked me up and I started casting CCS in July, if I remember correctly. Wow. Which so at that point, CCS would have been tier three. It all came pretty fast to you then, I guess. For the most part, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, it was a gold rush. It was the Wild West. There was mm -hmm. a new frontier. All of those, all of those good old American style metaphors that you can use here. Because at the time, outside of Kicks and Bloodbath, Panky had left. Hunji never stuck around. Emzo was doing whatever in, in CCS. Milos had never cast anything outside of LAN events, and he'd only done two, I think, at that time. Uh, and, I mean, there was Fluffy and Talon casting CCS, and then Tamies and Rams were the only two community casters for ESL. It was, it was slim pickings at that time. Wow. When was the big break? When was the... Alt, uh, I, I met, I briefly think I heard your story on either your own podcast or someone else's. Uh, but if you want to reiterate it here a little bit, uh, when you got into like, uh, went from CCS to Pro League. 
Um, I would probably say that the big break actually came before CCS. So I was casting something, Bravik, if you remember Bravik, if he's still around. He was involved originally with a couple amateur leagues. I think ESA was his. I can't remember. But basically, uh, he was hosting some event and he had a couple casters and Remorse was casting it. And at the time, I'd never spoken to Remorse, but I knew he'd, he was a former pro and he was still looking to be active and in the scene. Uh, it, I ended up casting a single map with him. I think it was Oregon. And in the chat was Vets to Vets, who at the time was one of the head admins for ESL and one of the head admins for Pro League. Mm -hmm. And I just remember after the match, Remorse goes, well, he, he goes, would you ever consider casting this professionally? And I said, well, I don't know anything about it. And he goes, well, you have to move to Poland. And I said, well, absolutely not. Of course not. Never moved to Poland. Famous mm -hmm. last words. <laughs> and he said, well, you might consider it because Vets to Vets was in the Twitch chat and he asked who I was casting with and told me to email him. And I was like, oh, holy shit. I was like, okay. So I sent him an email, which he never answered. Uh, and I sent him a follow-up email about a month later because obviously I was like, oh, this is cool. I could maybe make this a job. Maybe I will reconsider moving to Poland. Who knows? I was in a time where I was just starting a new job because I was working as a server. So at that point, the summer had just began. So there was seasonal work. Um, and I just enrolled in, in university. So I was going to finish up my degree at the time and changed my major, but I was going to a new university to finish it up. So I was in a transitional period. I got picked up by CCS shortly thereafter and, and the reception was really positive. I ended up becoming CCS's main caster because Fluffy started playing and coaching and doing other stuff. and. Uh, I met Kix sometime in the summer when I was trying to put together a 10-man and never talked to him before, but I knew he had a system to do 10-mans, reached out to him. We ended up talking, and he said, out of curiosity, I'm not super happy with my co-caster. Uh, can you send me some of the stuff you've casted? I'm curious to see how good you are. I guess he was impressed, and he lobbied for me, and Vets lobbied for me, and Two months later, I'm on a plane to Poland. Yeah, and then you got the dynamic duo. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I met Kix in the hotel lobby, extremely jet-lagged in a continent I'd never stepped foot on before. And we did a dry run that night and did our first cast the next day. The rest is history, wow. So, uh, with that, uh, you know, like, movie-like story, <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that, kind of, you know, step into a new country, into a new life. Uh, you know, do you have any like ideas for like people who are interested in casting? Like, you know, should should they like the do's and don'ts? I guess of like learning how to cast or something like that. Like a short, you don't have to, but you know, if if you want to help some of the little guys out, <laughs> um, I think the first mistake that a lot of people make is they react rather than try to act ahead of time a lot of casters and amateur casters talk as if they're sitting on a couch with a couple buddies around or they're describing what's happening to themselves you can't do that you, as painful as it sounds and i know that it is very uncomfortable for most people you need to be a showman that's just how it works you need to project and a lot of times you'll watch an amateur cast and somebody will go to do something big and the caster who's in maybe even a good flow 
stops themselves to be like, oh, and then reacts as if they're a fan watching at home. You can't do that. You need to stick to what's going on so the people at home can make those noises, not you. Um, and then project. Like I said, a lot of casters kind of cast like this and, you know, and it's like, you're not talking to yourself. Project, be confident. You have to exclaim what's happening most of the time on the same wavelength. Don't overdo it. Because I find what a lot of other amateur casters do is they take that advice and then they run with it to the extremes. And on the extremity of be hype is to always make everything a 10. So you'll watch these casts and this kid is screaming about nonsense or just really average ordinary plays because they're excited, obviously, because what's happening is cool. Don't get me wrong. And the fact that they're a caster is also super cool. But pacing is extremely important. So when you're yelling or getting hype or you're exploding over stuff, it kind of detracts from what's actually happening because it cheapens the big moments if everything feels like a big moment. You don't need to take the term shout casting literally. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of power that people can have. Slow down the action. It's a 1v1. What round is it? What's at stake? What are the win conditions? You can cast a 1v1 in an explosive manner where everything is super frantic and people feel that, or you can be quiet and inject tension into it and use the silence that people can play off of while they're going to be sitting on pins and needles because they're fans of these teams. You can use that silence and that tension to build up a moment and then explode when there's a conclusion. So yes, you could say it's, it's like, emotional it's like range. putting the, putting a dry rub on your ribs and then you're watching them cook and then you get that first bite right at them. That's the peak. No. It takes like, time. It takes time, but it's a very you American know. thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I mean, I like who 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 can't who doesn't like ribs? I mean, come on. I'm not a dry rub guy, but I like ribs. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, you got to have your barbecue with them. That's true. But... No, huh. I, I just think that people fall into this trap where they either they like I said they live on the extremities. They're either too subdued, and it sounds like an internal monologue that's just being said aloud, or they are shouting nonstop. And you got to dial that back in there. Do you get, you know, pick your battles. There are moments mm -hmm. and it's not easy. I mean, we get it wrong. Pros get it wrong. I'm sure professional commentators who work for whichever networks that do the Super Bowl in the NFL will go back and listen to a cast or you watch a cast and kind of shake their head and say, ah, I botched that. I've been casting for three years now, almost four years at this point. And I go back and I still watch things I've done recently and think, nah, that was sloppy. It happens. So I can imagine how hard it is when you're first starting out. It's always about perfecting that art, I guess, and always owning your skills in any profession, honestly. Yeah, and I think that a lot of newbies don't want brutal honesty. But the thing is, is that you can praise somebody for what they're doing while also acknowledge that they've got a ways to go. I mean... I still accept feedback and still look for criticism all the time because I know I'm far from perfect. And if I'm far from perfect, and if Kix is far from perfect, and if Sadokist and Uber from Overwatch and Anders and all these people are far from perfect, somebody who's casted a dozen times that is toiling in tier three or tier four, they're far from perfect too. So they should be able to swallow their pride and take that damn advice. Mm -hmm. So on the other side, I guess, of tips for new casters, networking is a very big part 
of uh, making it in anything and casting and as a player as anything do you have any networking tips for new casters any how to get your name out there how to promote yourself how to build your own personal brand and build your way to success do you have any tips in that regard uh, i mean i think maintaining an active social media presence and engaging with whichever leagues and the fandoms around those leagues is is a good thing you know there's a lot of egos across the board everywhere in esports mm-hmm. but one thing i found is that a ton of smaller tier four tier three casters with maybe a couple dozen followers feel like they're too big to meme around on twitter with the players in their tier three tier four leagues and instead are trying to meme around with the pros and it's like no offense but canadian or skies or bolo aren't gonna notice you if you've got 20 30 40 followers and they don't you know you're not in their like literal league in in both senses of the word Mm -hmm. but if you're if they're not in the league you're casting they're just not going to notice you right and that's just sheer numbers when you're getting tons of notifications on social media you have to sift through them pretty quickly and if it's a name that's not familiar with you then you're just going to usually ignore it i mean Mm -hmm. obviously there's exceptions but I find that a lot of these smaller casters, like, yeah, I mean, act like you're going to be in the big leagues at some point, sure. But you all grow by interacting with each other. You know, if you're a caster of a tier four league and there's, there's let's say there's eight teams in there, you're looking at 40 people that are playing. They might have a coach. They probably have friends. There's probably people working for the league you know, you should be able to secure yourself a pretty good foundation of 50 to 100 followers. And if you're any good, then there will be more people who will take notice because there's there's hundreds of tier four and tier three teams spread out across a wide variety of leagues. The best advice that I could give you is that when you are a tier three, tier four caster, the best networking you can do is trying to climb through the leagues. And I know that a lot of people are going to think that this sounds kind of shitty, But I'm sorry, if you're casting for a league that gets like 20 to 30 viewers, you should be trying to get in touch with the people who are running the league that has 50 to 60 viewers. And once you get in there and you settle in there and people really like what you do, stick around, build your brand a little bit more, and then aim for the league that gets 100 viewers for their matches. That's the best way for you to network. Reach out to these other leagues. If if they don't know who you are, make the introduction and just say, I'm a caster for this league, blah, blah, blah. You know, I really like what you folks are doing. If you're ever short on casting talent, I'd be more than happy to help out. You know, here's a here's some clips of me casting. Here's a demo reel, et cetera. Happy to help. And then talk to them. Like, be authentic. The biggest piece of advice that you can get for networking is don't make it look like it's networking. Be sincere with the people you're talking to. Don't just reach out to people and only talk to them when you need something. Those connections are superficial at best, and people will know that you're being disingenuous. Exactly. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So work your way up the ranks, I guess you could say. And don't, like you mentioned at, at the beginning, don't just try and get in the bubble. You're not in that club yet. So don't keep trying to get in there just by commenting on their posts and just by trying to interact with them when they aren't really going to notice you. It's not even Twitter, too. It's like Discord DMs. Like, mm-hmm. when, when, I was, when I was first starting out, the day, the day that I was in Poland, the day that I landed in Poland after having casted an entire season of CCS, not only casting an entire season of CCS, but also casting 
a go for and I think something else for ESL, which drew some pretty good viewership. Streaming on my own, being a part of Powerhouse, I was pretty affiliated with the scene, and I think I had 240 Twitter followers, which nowadays is terrible. Most, most of these T3, T4 casters that I see at least have a couple hundred. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when I use Twitter, my reach and my, my growth, et cetera, was, was terrible at the beginning. You know, It took me like almost a year to hit 10,000 followers, which for being a tier one caster on like the main league of a broadcast, that's pretty slow. The best way for you to deal business is in Discord DMs, messaging teams, messaging players, messaging the league owners, messaging admins, etc. Discord and being involved in Discord servers and Discord DMs is your best ally, not necessarily Twitter. Twitter is mostly for show. That's true. I guess you could say stuff goes on. I guess you could say Twitter memes. Twitter was um less developed for Siege when back when you kind of were getting more started. I would say now Twitter for Siege is a lot more popular. There's a lot more people on it. Uh Yes. So I would agree with that. It's but yeah, definitely Discord. I would say Discord's also a little bit more personal than Twitter. Like it's more of a personal connection to someone cuz you're directly kind of speaking to them. I mean Twitter is too, but it's more of a public platform I would say than Discord. So uh, could be maybe building more genuine connections. But on that topic of social media, of Twitter, if maybe we could talk a little bit about media training and media training for not only pro players, but media training for also T3 and more amateur players. What is your opinion kind of on, I'm, you're on Twitter, obviously. Uh, everyone sees you on Twitter and you interact with a lot of people on Twitter. What is your opinion about kind of in general professionalism and how you should conduct yourself if you're trying to work your way up as a professional siege player, siege caster, or personality in general? Uh, I mean, I think that a lot of the time it's just kids being kids and you can't really media train that. The best media training that I can give a lot of people is stop tweeting. And I've given that advice a number of times to people on Twitter where I'll see like these petty little feuds that are going on where they're just arguing back and forth publicly. That doesn't look good for anybody. Even if you're right, all you're doing is drawing negative attention to yourself. And I mean, sure, some people want that. Some people court that negativity and they want to build their brand off of it. Fine. But I feel like if you're a caster, we're not talking analysts. We're not talking content creators. If you're a caster, you really shouldn't be a hero or a villain. You should just kind of exist. And if you want to angle for a certain role, fine there are people who do it and do it very effectively a lot of people would see people like Thorin and Monte Cristo as villains of the esports scene okay I mean that's different strokes for different folks mm -hmm. it works for them but there's a reason why there's so cast so few casters who have that kind of personality like you look at Kix and I we have a personality sure but we don't really fall into the evil villain or hero category that some people want to do so I see I see people, especially in these tier three, tier four leagues, who are trying to make a name for themselves. Very few people genuinely pay attention to them. They've got a couple hundred followers. Maybe they got a thousand followers top. Some of these T3 players I see got like a thousand, twelve hundred followers. Cool. That's a, a big accomplishment, obviously, for being in, in the level they're at. But I also see them tweeting really edgy stuff. And when I say edgy, I mean borderline sexist borderline racist borderline trans or homophobic i mean 
as a human being, I don't really think there's a time for that kind of stuff to begin with. But if you're trying to make a name for yourself as a representative of a league, as the literal voice of competition and the voice of a league, you need to refrain from doing that stuff. Exactly. I don't care what your opinions are. You, I mean, obviously, I'm never going to advocate for somebody to hold those opinions. But if they do hold those opinions, then keep them to yourself. There's no reason to broadcast them. And if you feel so strongly that you need to advocate for them, then I feel like you're in the wrong business because nobody's, nobody's going to hire you based upon, you, you know, your political waxings on Twitter. And especially when you're in the amateur leagues, whether you're a player or a caster, those tweets are going to stick around. People will screenshot them. They might get archived, et cetera. I mean, we've already seen a whole host of T3, T4 players struggle to break into the T2 scene because of things they said when they were some 18-year-old dickhead. Exactly. And like I said, a lot of it's just kids will be kids. But the best piece of advice I can give you is log off of Twitter. People spend so much time on it. It is not real life. It is superficial nonsense that is done for show. It's all theatrics. And unfortunately, I find that a lot of gamers don't necessarily have the most robust social circles, so they make their social circles online and then Twitter becomes real life because they don't have that same network outside of the internet, mm -hmm. which becomes a problem. And I don't know how to fix it because a lot of gamers do tend to be quite introverted. Some of them aren't exactly the most socially, you know, affluent people. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe go to discord, have some fun with your friends. Try not to say anything stupid. That's going to end up getting shadow played and destroy your career. Or just go outside. I don't know. I mean, that's a good option as well. Yeah. <laughs> play some basketball, play some hockey, who knows? Get off the chair for once. Finding hobbies is crucial, man. The amount mm -hmm. of gamers whose just entire identity is I play video games, fine. I know people who are the same way with hockey and traditional sports, but they tend to be a bit more diversified in their friend groups, which goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Gamers just sit at home and they just kind of deteriorate. Game. And it's like, have hobbies. Do something else. Yeah, like all-consuming. It's like nothing should really all-consume you to, to that level, to where it like hurts other parts of your life. I think it's pretty apparent when you look at some of the some of the younger amateur scene that it does definitely hurt that they don't have other hobbies and they don't have other perspective because most of the time when I see these hot takes, they strike me. They just, they come from a place of ignorance because they don't have mm -hmm. experience elsewhere. So they just say things that they think are true. And next thing you know, I'm getting life advice from a 16-year-old who's won 48 go-fors and is 27-time diamond. And it's like, oh boy. Yeah, it's like, I can't wait to get your great wisdom. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoy reading it because I think it's funny. Oh, yeah, no, it's hilarious. It's like a self-writing comedy show, you know, sometimes when they when when they get full of them off of basically nothing at that point, you know? Yeah. What do you mean? They have like 17 diamond charms. I don't You're know. true, dude. I mean, the 1200 Twitter followers, they'll ratio me, but <laughs> I mean, they, they, they might have been diamond 17 times, but I got 104,000 followers and zero bitches. So, mm -hmm. right. Like, who's the real winner here? Yeah. Who's got the better ratio? You know, I they clearly that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, so I guess we'll quickly move into the next topic. What is your, this is more, uh, so I was more of a siege player than day the other host but what's your opinions on the current state of siege what's your opinion on 
is it positive or negative direction? And what is your current opinion on the meta at this time? Go in as far depth in as you want. Um, it, it, my opinion on the game is better than it was. So from this new I, season, Neon Dawn. Yeah, I think Neon Dawn is, and a lot of the changes that came from the devs of, of you know, breathed new life into certain aspects of the game. I understand the direction the devs wanted to take it. They want it to be a team-based game. You know, they want to try to inspire people to work together. They've, they're making tons of moves and changes to try and push that. The problem is, is that it's not particularly fun when people don't play together, which is, you know, most games, especially for a community this big. And it's even worse to watch. Nobody wants to watch people literally fold back pieces of utility for hours on end. And that's basically what it became. Whether the teams like to play it or not, and whether the people like to play it or not, it can still be entertaining to watch. I, I don't mm -hmm. think we can argue that as dreadful as the Lion and the Ying and Glass metas were on almost every level, they were at least extremely entertaining because they were quick and they were unpredictable and they allowed teams to position their operators and their their attacking lineups in ways that we hadn't really seen before because of what the operators brought to the table. In retrospect, you know, maybe it was a better meta than we thought at the time. I hated the Lion meta, and now I was watching the Jaeger-Wamai meta and then the Mute Mozzie meta too and thinking, man, I'd, I'd really love the Lion meta back right now, which I never thought I would say out loud. Um, oh, wow. Other so than that... Other than that, I mean, I don't know where the meta is going to go. Um, I know that Zero, uh, well, he's going to play differently now that he doesn't have nades, but I still suspect that we're going to see him on a number of maps. Uh, Twitch is back on the menu, which is nice. Twitch it's... has been seeing a lot of play in uh, T3. From what, I don't know about Pro League, but in T3, he's been getting a lot more play just because of her flash, and Ash has been having a little bit less play too, even though she got that third breaching run. Yeah, I mean, I think we might actually see Ash kind of go down a bit and, and see Twitch rise. I think we're going to see a lot more Hibana bans because Hibana has flashbangs now, mm -hmm. which originally was really weird for Hibana, and everybody kind of criticized, oh, Hibana has flashes, that doesn't really make sense. Like, oh, Hibana has breaches, that doesn't necessarily make sense. Give her her Claymore back way back when. Um, but, I mean, Hibana can now burn and reset the three ADSs. She can clear out three of Wamai's, was it four magnets now, which is pretty good. And her gadget is bonkers. Her, the changes, you know, I, yeah. I think Ibana is one of the strongest attackers right now. Uh, firepower aside, because I know the Type 89 and the bearing are, are really controversial uh, among certain players. But I mean, seeing a lineup that's like Sledge, Maverick, or Ace, Ibana, Twitch, and Zofia seems to be what we're going to get because there's still there's still evil eye cams and there's still the banshees in place so you're still going to need to bring explosives and it's never a bad thing to bring lots of explosives because smoke still has a shield as well so um I, I don't know i mean we'll see how it shakes out i also feel like we might just see a reversion to the mute mozzie meta because not only did not only did we see the the introduction of wamai change it but also mozzie got a, a nerf right by losing the super shorty yeah, I'll see how much of a difference it makes. I mean, there's still teams that even in the middle of this utility soak meta, we're running a lot of Mew Mozzie. So it's wide open right now. I mean, the meta will solidify. Teams aren't really whipping out their strats. They're going to wait for invite. So we've been watching a lot of teams just doing default stuff, uh, especially during the like the invite quals. 
there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of new stuff that we saw because teams are really reluctant to show it until it matters. And, and frankly, beating up a bunch of, you know, golds in the open bracket isn't when it matters. So mm-hmm. we'll have to wait to see. Well, what's, what's a hot take you got for like some operator change you would like to see? Like site added, site taken away, change to like one of their items or utilities that they have. That's actually a good point about the the gun sites, how they changed all the opticals up and it's totally upended certain operators. You know, everybody was crying about ACOGs and what did they do? They just introduced like four other different ranged sites, which I think is cool. Um, God, the, the optics are just such a mess right now. I don't even know how you begin to tinker with them because there's the there's the one times the 1.5, the 2, 2.5, negative the 3, and it's just like, oh. So, um, I mean, I think that Zofia is too strong. Uh, I, I think she needs to go. Um, I don't know how you change her because you need explosives. And I feel like if you take away, let's say you take away one of her explosives and leave her with one explosive and two of the concussions, you know, we'll just see Ash get run in her place because now Ash is three of the breaching, uh, mm-hmm. breaching charges or breaching rounds, technically. Maybe her gun. I mean, Zofia's gun is good, but it's, it, it's one of those guns that feels better than it is. That's you know, true. it's like the L85. The L85 yeah. is not really an extraordinary weapon, but it just feels good. Feels consistent. It's the, it's the same with Zofia, right? Like Zofia's gun just feels really good. But in terms of, you know, it's time to kill and it's recoil and it's fire rate. It's pretty, it's a little bit better than middle of the pack, but it's, it's not beating the F2. It's not beating the AK. It's not beating the C70. It's not beating the R4C. So, but it just feels nice. She's a solid operator, and don't get me wrong, like she's great. I just don't know how you get her out of her spot that she's in. She's in the same spot that Legion was in on defense, where it was never bad to bring Legion. He had impacts, he denied in, you know, he denied plants, he had intel, he was annoying, he could be all over the map, and he had a great gun. Safe so how pick. do you change him? Maybe they nerfed him a bit too much. He's seeing some play, and getting the 1.5 times is really good as well. Mm-hmm. The T5's always been an incredible gun, but... I mean, my hot take is that you, you got to nerve Zofia, but then what do you do about Maestro and, and Malusi? That becomes the problem because Maestro and Malusi right now are so good that you want to bring the most rounds. And that forces right there, that forces the attackers to bring four explosives, mm-hmm. whether they be grenades, whether they be you know shot out of a, a launcher or not. Yeah. I got a hot take for you. What do you think about one Maestro cam? Um, I feel like one maestro cam is fine if you can if you can't get rid of it. But I feel like one maestro cam that can get blown up is is not smart because if you do that, you just bring an ash and it's maestro is now totally useless, right? Like True. What if they ash touch the Alda? Is, sorry? What if they touch the Alda? I mean, I don't think the Alda is the issue with him. I think that he's obviously the Alda is a monster, but I feel like the Alda is in a good enough spot where unless you take more ammo away from it, I don't really think there's that much of an issue. You can do two things with it. You can either make its recoil really, really hard, um, or you can uh, you can change... Yeah, you can take away some of the ammo. Um, I don't know how I feel about single gadgets, though. Yeah, I don't think you can really take away one of his cams. I just... Maybe have the zap cooldown faster or something. There's a couple good changes that you could do with him where it's like you could 
you could make it so that he can't see out of his evil eye cams unless he opens them. Or you can make it so that when, you know, when you go to open it, it opens all the way and then you have to close it all the way instead of doing like the spam thing that people do where it's mm -hmm. like they can open it and then close it right away. Move it and move it around. Yeah. And, yeah you can make it so that when you want to open it to fire the laser, you have to wait for it to open fully, which gives the attackers time to effectively counter it. But then I feel like that might be too strong too Honestly, easy especially yeah. at like the high level like you know they'll hear it opening and they'll like get some guy ready to shoot it or something right away yeah you know this is why we're not game developers or uh, <laughs> anything, yeah i have no you know? idea I just ideas on twitter for, for <laughs> yeah. content yeah exactly angry and that's about it to so see all the people call you an idiot for no reason it's like man i'm just putting an idea out there like the tier three kids with 17 diamond charms yeah exactly <laughs> So, I guess for our last topic of the night, Powerhouse. Tell us about that. Tell us when it was established, some info about it. I've seen Powerhouse, so personally, uh, Powerhouse, if you know the league, Siege Cardinal League, SCL, have you ever heard of that T3 league? I have not. No, I haven't heard of a lot of the amateur leagues. I'm pretty disconnected from them right now. Okay, uh, that's where I first found out about Powerhouse, because their roster was competing it. And then I found out, oh, Intero owns Powerhouse, and I thought it was pretty cool. So, tell us about that. When it was established. Uh, I mean, growing up, I always played in in clans and teams and guilds and stuff like that. In in many ways, because I was not really the most outgoing person. You know, referring back to the whole gamers are introverted, you know, kind of deal. There were periods mm -hmm. of time where I had far more friends online than I did in real life, and you know, it took me until about the end of high school, beginning of university, until I found my groove to really step away from the internet. So I was, you know, I was one of those kids who was always in those communities in that jazz. Um, and I just thought it was really cool that you could have, uh, you know, an environment online that was welcoming, that you could meet like-minded people, that you could game with, with, you know, people who are essentially vetted. Because mm -hmm. as we've seen community servers across a wide variety of games just shut down, we've moved to this matchmaking system all form of quality control has gone out the window you know most of the games now that you're playing in matchmaking you were thrown into a match and you were at the mercy of the you know three four five other people on your team depending on what game you're playing and you just hope that one of them is not a shithead and that's it or your opponents are you know shitheads and i remember the counter-strike days i remember the the tf2 days i remember the early call of duty days you know the the enemy territory days where you would have an admin on and if somebody was unruly they just get banned from the mm -hmm. server and trash would get taken out right away doesn't really work that way anymore so the idea behind powerhouse was that maybe we could try to provide a community where there would be good people in it and you know you wouldn't have to worry about going into matches alone or solo queued or you know duo queued and then end up with garbage on your team or playing against garbage problem is is that discord for all of its benefits discord has absolutely destroyed the ecosystem for gaming communities because why are you going to join a gaming community with 100 or 200 other people when you can just create a discord server for you and four or five or six buddies and then just do that right mm -hmm. and that's essentially what we saw so we found that it we were having a really hard time keeping a group together because you know we'd we'd have 30 people in the rainbow six community for powerhouse 
but then we'd go to game up and one or two of those people that we'd be gaming with would be annoying or would rub somebody the wrong way. So that person who got rubbed the wrong way would literally just leave and create their own discord server. And now they'd bring two or three buddies and it's like, now they're gone mm-hmm. from our community. I, you know, and it, it, it was really challenging to keep everybody together. So we kind of repurposed powerhouse and we said, okay, well, we'll focus more on a stream team and competitive teams and we'll be essentially like a, a feeder to the bigger orgs where people that are competing in the T3, T4 leagues can come to powerhouse, compete under a relatively known among the lower level, you know, of siege. Mm-hmm. And then when they get a, an offer for a better org or they get an offer to make money or they, you know, they can climb up to T2, T1, etc., then they can use us as, as a leg up essentially. The problem is, is that that's exhausting because you have so much turnover all the time Mm -hmm. and we don't sign anybody to contracts we we don't pay people and we don't force them to stay if they Mm want to leave at any time they're more than welcome to if they win anything they keep it all you know so the problem is is that we keep having turnover where it's like we're not really benefiting and it's just like constant work and and i mean we lose money because we have a website Mm-hmm. that i mean cost next to nothing and we've paid i know we've paid the fees for teams to compete in certain leagues before so it's definitely not a money-making endeavor which i'm fine with but we're just at a point now where i think the ship has sailed for the style of gaming community slash competitive organization that existed 10 15 years ago and it's nice to have it around but i i mean i don't really know what the focus of powerhouse is anymore. I don't think any of us do. We're just kind of going along with it because there's, there's really nothing to, to do with it right now. Mm-hmm. So is there, I guess, is there really a vision for it then? Like, well, obviously you talk about the vision in the first place, but as you just kind of said, you're just going with the flow at this point, right? Because obviously having amateur esports org, uh, Tilde and I, uh, owners of synthetic who is much, much smaller than powerhouse, but we understand where you're coming from with the contracts, with the, the you're not making you're not in this to make money you're not in this to make a profit so was is there still a vision is there still a future for powerhouse or do you think it's just gonna end up kind of phasing out i mean it's it's been in the same pattern that it's in right now this holding pattern for i don't know a couple years at this point right like I don't think there's some grand plan. We don't have an exit strategy. The goal isn't to start eventually, you know, raising capital to make it a, an esports org, like a hundred thieves or something like that. I, you know, is yeah. I have nowhere near that clout or that capability. And frankly, there's already too many esports orgs as it is. And you're finding that a lot of these orgs are having an immense amount of trouble surviving, you know, even when there isn't, an economic shutdown. So mm-hmm. it's just, it, it mostly exists because when myself and the other people who founded it got together, we kind of wanted to give back. And then we realized after about a year or so that the idea of us giving back doesn't really exist the same way that we thought it would. So now we just have a stream team and we publicize here and there. And if people want to stream for us or compete for us, cool. But I mean, it's, like I said, it's kind of just in a holding pattern. It just exists. And then if at some point, you know, we have trouble for a prolonged period of time finding a team or whatever, then maybe we just quietly close it down. I don't know. There's no real grand vision for it to grow at any point. So that's where we are. You guys have made sponsors over there out of curiosity? Like, other than- uh, we had a 
partnership with the Koyo store. Um, I'm really hands off the day to day stuff. I I'm mostly in a ceremonial position as CEO, even though I do next to nothing. Most of the organization is overseen by a guy named Sadgasm. His name is Jordan. He does the all of the day to day operational stuff, and he works with the rest of the people who are like in the leadership team. Um, I I'll pop in here and there when I get pinged about something like if there's uh, concerns with the team or you know issues with personnel or you know, they want to reach out to a sponsor or something. That's when I come in because I usually have connections to most of the sponsors that we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. So I can reach out to them and, and talk directly with them or use relationships that I have outside of, out of the org. But other than that, I mean, I, I, I don't really keep a good finger on the pulse of what happens over there. Are you guys only in siege right now? Or do you know? Uh, I don't think we have anything else. I think we had a Valorant team for a period of time, but I don't know how Valorant esports is working. Oh, it's um, so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. I'm... I mean, it it's it's settling. Like, you know, the, the game itself is half a year old. So it's... And everybody seems to think that Riot... I don't know if they've announced this, but the general mood seems to be that Riot is going to take all of it in-house and do a franchise league yeah. system the same way that LOL has. So it's kind of foolish right now, unless you are one of those orgs that are signing up really good talent to then sell them, which is absolutely happening. There's going to be orgs that are going to find, you know, these, these, you know, top ranked players on, you know, T3 tier two scenes they're going to sign them to crazy contracts with like a buyout of $150,000. And then these orgs are solely going to exist to profit off of selling those players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing we've, we've noticed with like, you know, being a small time org and like just being interested in like expanding our like games to like call of duty and stuff, just to like, you know, build a, build a community is like a lot of T3 uh, Valorant players, like, they're asking for like over like $500 a month per player for each player. Like out of like orgs like us who have like, you know, no income outside of like me investing my, my money into it directly, you know, but I, I feel like I feel like that exists everywhere. And, and I will say that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, getting paid $500 a month to play, high level Valorant is absolutely nothing. You know, like if you're working a job and you're only making $500 a month, you're in, you're in a lot of trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. So to these players and in defense of them, I don't see $500 as being, wow, you know, but you have to look at it from a business perspective as what value do you bring? You know, for example, if, if these kids are asking for 500 bucks and you sign them to a predatory contract where you're like, sure, I'll give you $500 a month. And then you set their buyout for 50 grand. You know, it's going to take you a long time until you hit 50 grand in salary. So even if you pay them $500 a month, you turn around, you sell them two years later, you're making a substantial profit, right? Which is what's happening. And a lot of these, what obviously they're not going to be going out and saying that because they don't want to scare away the players and stuff that they're going to be stuck on that team or something. If nobody wants to buy them for that price. Yeah. And it's tough because people deserve to be paid for playing. 
you know, it, it shouldn't be like the old days of, of Overwatch and Rainbow Six and CSGO where you get paid in, you know, gamer subs. But at the same time, we're having this issue right now in Rainbow Six at the high level where a lot of these players have no personality. They're not marketable. They have no social media presence. They provide zero value outside of the server. And even in the server, they're not playing on a team or at a level that's high enough to win the top events. Mm-hmm. You know, it was something that I said about, about Tempo and E United was that you look at those rosters, no offense to Tempo. Tempo had virtually zero marketable stars. And E United, they were trying to push Yeti and Alfama. And I think they were doing all right. But you have to ask yourself, are Yeti and Alfama the types of players that can be, you know, huge personalities in a scene? I think the answer is no. Are they worth more than the average player because of what they bring to the table in the server and because of what they bring to the table in terms of personality? Yeah, of course. And I would say that they're more marketable than certain people they're playing on TSM or SSG outside of those teams. Mm-hmm. But when your job is, as an org is to try and recoup money because you're almost never making a profit, when your job is to try to recoup as much money as possible, you need to look at marketability. And there are a couple ways to be marketable. You got a great team that's constantly winning. Not only do you have them getting tourney winnings, which you might get a cut of depending on the contracts you have, but you're constantly in the conversation. You're constantly being referenced on casts. You're constantly being talked about all the time for all the good reasons. That gives you marketability. That's great. It's free advertising. Or you have players like Bolo or you have players like Canadian, or you have players like Foxe, or easily when he's on the Sonics, that have a pretty big footprint on social media. And you can use them to market whatever you want, whatever product you're selling. If they're charismatic, if they've got a big audience, a big install base, that's free marketing as well for your sponsors. And that's something you can show to sponsors to try and make some of that money back that you're spending on salaries. That's something I tell our management at Synthetic. We're very small, but when I'm picking up a team, it's one of two things. Either you're winning you're a good team, you're winning, or you have people on the team that are either constantly streaming on social media, have a presence like that, and can actually give us some notoriety. If we're just picking up five dudes from the CCS Discord that are no one's ever heard of, it's a bigger gamble than if we're picking up a team that's already in leagues, right? That's already partaking, already getting their own sort of uh, publicity, because mm -hmm. it's just so it's just so much more of a risk by picking up these nobodies. Yes, it can pay off. But more often than not, you're better off, like you said, picking up someone like, not obviously on T3, but someone like Bolo, someone that's actually streaming and has their own sort of content creation part of that. Because building your own brand as a player, as anyone, is very, very important. And I think a lot of amateur players don't really realize that. And even a lot of pro players uh, don't realize that either, I don't think. No, people don't realize their own value as well. And it's something that even casting talent have spoken about. And, and I've... I've had this conversation over drinks at many bars after many events with different casting talent that have all said the same thing. Oh, I really wish that I'd streamed more when I was first growing. Oh, I really wish I'd tweeted more. Oh, I really wish I'd done YouTube. Oh, I really wish I'd learned other games. Because people realize that this is not a job where you punch in at nine and then punch out at five. It doesn't work that way. You know, you establish your brand. You have to build a foundation for your own platform. You need to be marketable. Because when you're going to work an event, you have to be able to, you know, big dick them. You have to be able to say, well, I've got this many followers. I've got this much reach. You know, when I stream, I make this much money per day. You look at some of the bigger streamers, and if you want somebody like a Shroud 
or a ninja to come to your event, to physically come to your event, not only do you have to pay them, but you have to offset their loss in revenue from not streaming that day. Mm -hmm. So if you look at like Shroud's making, let's say he's making five grand a day, seven grand a day just from streaming, which I know is not true. He makes, he probably makes more than that. But let's say he does that. Not only do you have to pay whatever salary he's commanding, how much value you think he has, which is usually quite high, but you have to add in the fact that by him being at your event and possibly traveling, he's missing out on money from those days. So these are all things that people have to think about. And I mean, you look at somebody like Blue. Blue has tweeted about this all the time. Blue is going through a bit of this existential crisis at the moment, if you check out his Twitter, but basically saying that he wishes he'd created more content. He wishes that he'd, you know, while at the same time, he wishes that he'd prioritized relationships outside of gaming. Because eventually, as much as I hate to say it, for all but maybe the top dozen, two dozen talent in all of esports, this train is going to come to an end. You know, this train ride is going to come to an end way faster than most people think. And this isn't an industry that allows for longevity. You can't just jump into another job that's comparable. Mm -hmm. You end your time as a caster, you might be going to coach a team and taking a significant pay cut. You might be jumping into working social media. You might go work for a developer or a publisher. And you're back in the suck. You're not working a glamorous job traveling the world anymore. You're working more of a nine to five job and you're getting paid significantly less. And it's nowhere near as flashy and you've lost the fame and you've lost the fortune and all the cool things that so many people like about this industry. All of it's gone. And people need to be thinking ahead about that, whether you're a caster or whether you're a player. So in that regard, what's your future plan uh, after casting? What do you hope to do? What do you? I'm going to be a fry cook on Venus. On Venus. Yeah. That's a really big plan. Yeah, I'm just waiting for space travel to open up, you know? Yeah, COVID, I mean, I COVID just, really knocked it back. I just saw something. Elon Musk is like 2026. 20, he wants to have people on Mars. So, you know, maybe by like 2045 or something, we'll have Venus conquered already. We'll see. Uh, I don't really know, to be completely honest with you, what my plans are. Um, at some point, Rainbow Six will die. I would like to continue casting. So jumping to another game would be you know, the logical step. Uh, I don't know how long we have in Rainbow Six. And frankly, I'm not in a position right now where I am keen to leave. I like it. I like the community. I like the scene. Um, my confidence was shaken in the dev team with their balancing this year. And I was very open about that. I've been open about that on a number of podcasts and on Twitter because I felt like the direction wasn't clear. I feel like we have a better understanding now of where the devs want to take this thing. And I hope that they continue down that road because nerfing the meta as soundly as they did seems to be a pretty good idea. The game is a lot faster. It's a lot better to watch. Um, and we're in, we're in kind of a transitional period. Like a lot of people left Ubisoft over the last year. And it, I think it's only been compounded by the pandemic. So we don't really know the the constraints that working from home has put on this game. We don't really know what the next year looks like. You know, I have I the only information I have about the six invitational is exactly the same that the public has right now. Really? So I think there's a lot of stuff up in the air that I I'm kind of waiting to see what the answers are to some of my questions before making any definitive decision on what I want to do. But right now, if you know, if you put a gun to my head and said you have to tell us. I would say that I'm, you know, I'm nothing has changed. I'm sticking around. I intend to stick around for a couple of years, you know, with kicks. That's our goal. We don't want to split up. We enjoy working together. We enjoy this game. 
I like streaming it. I like playing it. I like talking about it. I like making content for it. But at some point, I'm well aware that if I want to stay a commentator, I have two options. I either move to another game when Rainbow Six dies, or I branch out to traditional sports and see how that goes. So those are pretty much my two options right now. At some point, it might change, but that's kind of where my head's at. Well, pretty interesting. If you had to, does you have a preference for that? Sports or gaming? I'm assuming probably gaming, but I could be wrong. Uh, I mean, right now I like gaming, but who knows what'll happen as I get older. I do think that gaming is more for the younger generation where, you know, sports is seen as far more legitimate in the eyes of John Q public and, and, and proper adults, you know? That's true. I, I This could just be because esports is still so young, but you look at the people who are the faces of most of these games and they tend to be younger to reflect the audience. Yeah. Right. You don't see a lot of esports commentators over the age of 40. They don't really exist. Like there's a couple, but they don't really exist because usually what happens is you hit a certain level and you cash out. You either go work for a developer, or you go work for a company, or you go work for a broadcaster, or you start doing your own stuff, or you start your own company or something along those lines, and you you kind of retire from the spotlight. And who knows? I'm three years in. Traveling sucks. It's great to see places hate flying all the time. I just want to be somewhere consistent, which has been both a blessing and a curse this year. Mm-hmm. I've been at home for the entire year. I took one plane this year. I flew to Poland January 3rd. I flew home January 31st. That's the only plane that I've been on this year. It's the least that amount that I've flied or flown in six years, Jeez. almost seven years. It's by far and away the least that I've flown in, in six or seven years. And I've spent, I, I took a train to Montreal and then drove home. I got back in middle of February. And since middle of February, I've been in Toronto nonstop. You know, and it's been nice. It's It's been kind of nice to have like a routine. It's a shitty routine because you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's it's honestly like being in Poland for a month and then flying to an event and then flying home and living out of a suitcase for a month and a half. And, you know, having to, you know, then when I, I flew back to Toronto when I was off for periods of time when I was in Poland, like I didn't have to do that, but I wanted to because I liked being home. Mm-hmm. It's nice to just kind of have a home base. Yeah. It's really nice. Definitely. Well, that's just narrowing on down on our time of an hour. So thank you very, very much, Parker and Taro, for coming on the Synthetic Podcast. It was really nice talking to you. Really great opportunity for us to learn some more and the audience to learn some more about T1 Casting. Do you have any closing remarks? Closing? Anything you want to say? Uh, no, I think it's great that you do this. Uh, there's a obvious uh, a drought for, for secondary content in Rainbow Six. It's something that I've kind of harped on a lot is that people don't make content and that it, you know people aren't going to watch it if you're not making it. And if you're not making it, then people aren't watching it. So it's it's great to see and hear these other podcasts and it's nice for them to get promoted, you know? And, and if, if there's anybody that's watching this or listening to this, then I... I sincerely hope that they learn something and that they stick around for more than just one episode. Definitely. And I, uh, I appreciate you gentlemen taking time out of your day to, to organize this. I appreciate you taking time out of your, I'm sure, very busy day to uh, Actually, today was, today was quite busy, but that's just because I booked everything for today because I don't know how to manage my schedule as an adult. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Before you go, I got one more question for you. Yes. Favorite SI memory outside of the tournament, like favorite restaurant, 
anything that you uh that you just like hits you right right in the the good old memory department oh boy um make them tear up no 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 nothing nothing like that i mean in terms of impact outside of the actual thing it was probably they filmed the documentary on me and all that jazz for behind the siege two years ago um gotta watch that that was super cool. It's like five minutes. It was weird because I thought it was going to be longer. It only ended up being five minutes, but they followed me around for like half a day. They had like all the artwork done. and That's cool. I was on the stage doing rehearsals for was SI 2019, I think it was. And I just remember seeing my poster card come up and it was just really weird to see myself on this like 130 foot screen. But, you know, that was kind of cool. And then they, oh. had, they had the poster hanging in the hallway of the atrium at a uh, plas bell that was really cool but no my my favorite memory was it, it was a reoccurring thing you be justin myself and zeronic at every event we were at would always go out for dinner the three of us and we would get the same thing every time we'd go to a steakhouse we'd order like old fashions we'd get steak and lobster just steak or whatever and just usually get savagely drunk and extremely full <laughs> and it was just always such such a good time and just like just chilling and just having great fun outside of that and there was one time where um we were waiting for justin and zeronic and i went to the rooftop pool bar at uh our hotel in rio it was in near the olympic compound that they'd built for the olympics um in i can't remember when it was 2010 or something like that i can't remember when the rio olympics were and there was this, the top of the hotel was just like this giant outdoor pool. And you look around and you have the whole view of all the mountains and, and all the jazz down below. And we just ordered a whole bunch of bottles of champagne because they were like $15. And we just swam in this pool and drank champagne for hours. And then we went and got dinner and it was a great memory. Nice. Outside of that, I mean, I'm, there, I'm probably forgetting stuff, but those are the ones that jumped to mind. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great having you, though. Thank you very much. And if you, if, if when events return and you haven't been to any, I'd strongly recommend you and everybody else that's listening to to make the pilgrimage to at least one, if not the six Invitational, then try to make it to one of the majors. If they end up coming back, who knows what's going to happen with yeah, travel I'm from Ontario? London. So Montreal's only like a six-hour drive. I don't know. That's not too bad. Yeah, it's a, it's just a just a quarter of the day. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, that's pretty easy, you know. And most I mean, Americans, you know, for me, a, a quick drive across the state, you know, that's like a four-hour drive and then four-hour back. That's a day. You know, who cares? Yeah, we, spend six hour, we spend six hours playing ranked, so we can clearly spend our time better. Amateur yeah, hours. Yeah. Amateur. Yeah. Amateur. I mean, 12 hours one day, a day. One day, I, uh, uh, I think it was two weekends ago, I, uh, I'd, <laughs> sadly, I dropped down to Silver 5 on a really bad ranked loss streak, and then I played for another 12 hours straight because I had nothing better to do on my Sunday afternoon. Uh, and I, I, I made it back to gold, you know, the, the small <laughs> life. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, at, at least you, at least you're getting some good memories in down there in the, in the oh, salt yeah. mine. Yeah, exactly. Got one clip posted and on Twitter of me yelling, I've been grinding in the trenches all day, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, anyone that's listening, check out Intero and Canadians Podcast 6 on 6. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Podcast, sorry, YouTube, and Twitch, I think you mentioned as well. Check Intero out on Twitter at Intero, I-N-T-E-R-R-O. If you're listening, you probably know who he is, so it doesn't matter. 
but check him out. It was great having you in tarot. I hope you have a great rest of your night. We're recording this on the 16th of December. It will be airing, airing on Spotify on the coming Sunday, which is the 20th. So you'll be listening to it then. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. I really appreciate it.